All right, let's take our Bibles and go to Psalm 119, 105. It's very familiar to most of you, and so I uh, probably most of you can quote it without looking at it, especially if you listen to my radio program, the Lamp and Light broadcast, and you know you can, uh, you're going to hear it every day as it comes out on our broadcast. Um, I, tonight I also want to preface this message by saying uh, it's not a message I like to preach. It's one I felt led to preach, okay, but it is definitely not one that I like to preach. Why? Because it's going to be a lot about things in my life. It's not something I'm trying to hide from people, but rather what I'm saying is this. I want the sermons to glorify and magnify Christ. And so often I've <coughs> sat and listened to preachers preach, and when they preach, they'll uh, talk about everything, and you feel like the great I am is them, <laughs> you know. And so I don't want you to think that at all, but I just want you to see uh, these things because I believe that what I have to share with you tonight will help you in your personal life as well as a Christian. And so that's the reason for the title tonight, uh, whereas <clears throat> we've called it A Christian's Roadmap Looking Ahead. And so Psalms 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Well, let's have a word of prayer. Father, again, magnify yourself through this message. I pray thy Holy Spirit would speak to not just every heart here, but those watching live stream, those listening on WTYG, but Lord, speak to each of us. Speak to my heart. Lord, I know what I've prepared, but I know that you may have words that, even though I felt like these are what you'd have me to say, that there might be something else that you want to add, and please do, in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Now, some would consider, uh, by the title of this message, where we're looking at uh, a roadmap, looking ahead, would be a message on prophecy. Uh, well... It is not. The sermon is not a message on prophecy, but it is needed. It's uh, really in line with the sermon that I preached this morning, and that's basically why I put them back to back. Uh, Joseph, when we looked at Joseph this morning, Joseph doesn't have notoriety as a big spiritual Christian. He doesn't have that notoriety at all. Uh, all this stuff about Mary, and what the Bible says about Mary is true. She's a good lady. I mean, she was a godly woman. And uh, really, I mean, to do what she did and uh, all the things of faithfulness, even at the cross, she's right there. And so uh, Mary was a good godly lady, but sometimes we miss that Joseph was a godly man. And, uh, but he is a man of faith. He did not need the limelight, so to speak, I believe that in his heart it was to fulfill the will of God. And so he didn't need the limelight among men. He only needed to know that he was in God's will. And when you're in God's will, you're doing it God's way. And you do it in God's timing. So doing it in his way, you'll know one thing. Be holy for the Lord our God is holy. So whatever he leads you to do, it will never, never, never go against his holiness. It'll be holy in every way that God is leading you and righteous 
righteous and true holiness. And it will never compromise with the world to indoctrinate the world to make people like it more. Now, we're not trying to make people like us. We're trying to turn people to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we're trying to do, first of all, and most of all. Now, this verse I said earlier is the verse that always heads up the lamp and light broadcast. As a matter of fact, there's an example right there. I was walking in a, a Christian bookstore, and I heard this lady singing, uh, I Thy word is lamp to my feet and the light in my path. It just seemed like it hit my heart then. And I said, okay, that's going to be the title of the, my radio broadcast, the Lamp and Light broadcast. But I also said, wow, I, I'd never heard the song before. I went up and asked, I said, who was singing that? She said, Amy Grant. I'd never heard of Amy Grant before. So I, I come back here to the church and I was telling uh, some people about it. I said, well, you know, she's a contemporary artist. I mean, he, she draws contemporary pictures. I thought I always thought an artist did. But um, uh, so, no, she's a contemporary artist. So I, they, I started finding out about her and, some, and a lot of those things that were not good. But for some reason or other, she sung that song in a right way, that, at least the one I was hearing. She sung it in the right way. It wasn't souped up or anything like that. And so I, I was thinking about making, but as soon as I heard that, I said, I've got to look for another song. And so that's where the Bible Stands started, right there. It's the Bible Stands. We'd had a, a group of college kids here, and I got the, uh, they gave me a CD or a tape or something. But anyhow, I got that song from that and asked them if it was all right if I used that uh, on, on broadcasting. They said, sure. And so that became the first song that we had, and that's our theme song for the Lamp and Light broadcast. So that's just kind of giving you a background to that. Uh, but. When we look at the word there in our text, uh, it says, the word, Thy word is lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so, the light to our feet, as I've told you many times before, shows us ourselves. It's like looking in the mirror. You look in the mirror and you correct things, okay? The, God's word is the mirror for our life. Our life should line up with what's in that, the mirror of God's word. And when it doesn't, those are the things that need to be corrected. Uh, my path, the Word of God is a light to my path. It shows me the direction in my life. Even in the call of God, and, and when you're fulfilling that call, there are directions that you take here and there. Uh, and it must be because it's for the Lord's glory and His honor. Uh, so, it's to show us God's will that we might walk in it in the way that I should go. The Word of God is a lamp and light that I may walk in the way that I should go. Now, there may be some illustrations that I use tonight that you've heard me use before, because I have used some of them before, but actually this is somewhat a personal testimony that I said, I don't like to do that because then it draws attention to yourself. That's not what we want. We want the attention solely on the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And his word and his person. That's what it is. Uh, what I say about myself that may sound good to you is what God did in me and through me. It wasn't my own making at all. And he's done nothing more for me that's so superior to you that he wouldn't do that for you as well. So just understand, I, I want that completely understood before we get into this. Uh, 
but there's some testimonies that I want to use uh, for this sermon, uh, kind of like a personal uh, testimony. Now, I'm in no way wanting to exalt myself. Don't, don't go there. Uh, these are things that speaks to your heart and God gives it to you. My intellect is nothing, okay? Rather, it's God's Spirit who gives everything that's glorifying of God. And I believe, uh, as I said, I've preached this sermon that I think it'll be a help. I actually preached uh, probably very similar to this. I didn't save the outline, but I preached a similar sermon to this in chapel, I think last year sometime, just trying to hope that kids would get grasp it to seek the will of God in their life. And so that's, that's why I preached it then. But again, I, I think it'll help for people that really are truly in their own heart seeking the will of God. Uh, first, I want to share with you some of my personal testimony in God's uh, leading in my life. And always, uh, His leading comes from His Word. Sometimes He uses events that takes us to His Word. Sometimes he uses things that happen that draw us to him. His Holy Spirit uses things to work in you and through it draw you closer to him and draw you into a closer relationship with God. That's what he does. So uh, sometimes we must get our uh, attention solely on him in his word and in prayer and listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to what he has to say. Instead, it's not about us, it's about him. So listen to him. Um, now, around 19, I think it's around 1964, 1965. If you asked me the exact date, I would not know, but I think it's right around 1964. We had in our church, it was in Bradenton, Florida, where dad was pastoring at that time, and we had in Sunday evening, uh, we called it Training Union. Now, we changed the name because that was always Southern Baptist, and Southern Baptists had Training Union. It wasn't a bad thing to have Training Union. The teens would meet before church services. Matter of fact, that's how Janice and I met at Tennessee Temple and church service. Uh, I'd asked my friend Mike to save my seat after Training Union. I was going to go over and talk to somebody and come back. When I come back, he'd given her my seat. I tell you what, but nonetheless, that's where I first met her. And uh, I said, Mike, you with her? No. I said, what, what's she doing? Her and her roommate came in here and just sat down. And they're not with you. So I made sure I met her after church. And um, we had our next date. On, we had our first date on Wednesday night, but I'm not going to talk about that one tonight, okay? Uh, uh, some things that happened then were uh, scary. But, uh, but nonetheless, uh, in that training union time, you divide the teens up into the teens into teams, and uh, you put one person in charge of each team. I was in charge of the team that I was with, and you had the book there, and the teens would be in charge of things like um, uh, maybe music, games, and the lesson, and, and the lesson was there for us, and so when it was our turn, it was... Uh, a lesson, uh, and of course you're based to try to help young people, but as I was reading the lesson, I just thought, no. 
and it just seemed like the Lord began to lay something on my heart. Now, I didn't know it was the Lord at the time. I just started thinking, you know, and trying to think this thing through, and, and just got a message up, and uh, probably that's the first sermon I ever preached. Now, could I give you an outline? Could I tell you? I have no idea to this day what I preached on. I know. I just got up there and preached it. Uh, so, th there was a lesson, and uh, I just felt like that's what I should do. I just really had that urge. This is what you should do. So, uh, I, I don't really know how God put that on my heart and mind. Yeah, I would pray sometimes. Sometimes I'd read the Bible and all that, but it wasn't a daily thing and a daily walk with me at the time. But I did uh, I work on the bus routes. I, I helped in children's church. So those are things that maybe hearing all those sermons, dad preaching, uh, hearing the Sunday school lessons, just everything through. God used those things in my heart and life, and I believe that to this day. And so there are things that just don't leave you. And so that was my first sermon that I preached that night. And one guy sat on the front row in front of me. Now, just tell you a little bit about this guy. He was a couple of years older than me, maybe three years older than me. I don't know. He was a big guy. And one of the greatest thrills that he had in life was bossing me around. Okay, it just seemed like that to me because he was, oh, don't you do that and things like that. Well, what are you going to do? Hit a guy about uh, three inches taller than you and about uh, twice as heavy as you? Are you going to push him around? Uh, no. So, but I noticed when I started, he was looking at me, and then all of a sudden those eyes got wide open, and he just stared the whole time looking. And at first, you know, you, you see that, and then, well, I'm here, so I'm going to do it. And he just, uh, I could see that he was taken in by it. He was taken in by it. It's just like, he was surprised. He was probably almost as surprised as I was. But nonetheless, he was surprised and just listened. And he just seemed to focus with his eyes on me the whole time. And sometimes, you know, when you're talking to somebody, if they're listening but not paying attention, and when they're paying attention, they're taking it in. And that's one of the times I realized he was taking it in. And he looked surprised. Now, I believe God allowed that. At that moment, I believe that he allowed it to show me the power is in the Word of God. And to show me that he actually could use me and may want to use me someday. So that was, as a teenager, the first time uh, I even really said, am I called to preach or anything like that? That was really one of the first thoughts, places where the Lord began to work on me. And so, uh, that was it. But nonetheless, I believe that the Lord had things in the future. I knew that. I just didn't know what. Um, later, back, I think that was in 1966, I had a friend. His name was Mike Privet. As a matter of fact, to this day, Mike Privet supports our Lamp and Light radio broadcast. But Mike Privet was my best friend, and he and I and my little brother Tim, <laughs> my little brother Tim, about six foot something, you know, about six foot three or four now, but back then, 
is my brother Tim was a little guy. He was about seven years old. I'd, I'd called Mike up. I said, Mike, uh, uh, I, I want you to uh, go with me to gas up the car. I've got my little brother. I'm going to take him. Just go gas up the car. And also, Mike had been talking to me about a girlfriend. They had broke it off. I said, man, I know another girl here. I says, if you can get with her, that'll get my girlfriend off my back. You know, and so I, I was going to take him over to meet her. We went to... Uh, I gassed up the car, full tank, I mean full tank. It was Christmas Eve of 1966. Filled it up, got in the car, pulled out. It's a two-lane road, but I had to go the two lanes instead of the four lane because uh, that girl lived that direction. Now, that was a problem a little bit later, but that, uh, uh, that direction, we started to head. A drunk guy doing 80 miles an hour crossed over and hit us head on. Spun my car around so many times and ended up in the front yard right near the uh, front door of those people's house. Totaled it completely, totaled his car. Um, I thought Mike was following his tongue. He's, you know, and I, so I put my finger in his mouth. I didn't know if that's what you're supposed to do, but he stopped when I did. Then he said, what do you got your finger in my mouth for? But, um, but we came to, the people got us out, walked around a little bit, and started feeling just a little bit dizzy, you know, and they told me laid down on the ground, and they laid me down on the ground and all that, but what I'm saying is, we got hit head on, I found out the next day that it was at 80 mile per hour, and the patrolman that came and worked that uh, accident said, this is a Christmas Eve miracle, and they put that in the newspaper. But when you're laying there for the next two weeks, I didn't have to spend the night, none of us had to spend the night in the hospital. Now that's a miracle as well. So none of us spent the night in the hospital, but I did stay in bed for a couple of weeks because it hurt, okay, I was sore. But um, for the next two weeks in the, in the bed, it's Christmas time, you know, everybody's out now because they've gotten their presents, they're wanting to do those things, so I'm, I'm there Mom's staying there, of course, and all that, but uh, really I'm there by myself, and it really got me to thinking on, you know, does the Lord have something for me to do? And so I, I got to thinking on those things because, uh, you know, when, you, when that happens, uh, you begin to think about those things. What would God have me to do? Well, I thought about Tennessee Temple College. My dad went there and, and others. It was a great college. As a matter of fact, Dr. Lee Robertson, uh, I, he baptized my brother Dick and I when we were when I was six years old. I don't know if Dick was by that time eight, thirty, or whatever. But uh, <laughs> he, no, we were just two years apart. Dick's two years older than I am, but nonetheless, we were both baptized by Dr. Lee Robertson. Now that's a special thing. Now, I can remember that event to this day. When you get baptized in front of about two or three thousand people, you remember it, and that's the way it was. But uh, so I went to Tennessee Temple, and that's where I met Janice, and I told you about that earlier. And, and we started dating. We dated. And I said, prettiest person I ever dated, prettiest person I ever knew. And I says, uh, I'm going to date and try to get her and, and, and just be able to marry her someday. And so we went along, and it really developed well. And then the day came, you're going to hit me. 
So you want to marry this girl because she's pretty. It makes you look good because she's pretty. And that's, I mean, that's the way a teenager thinks, I guess. And then it dawned on me, is this God's will? Now, I wanted to marry her. I really did. But I, was at, is it? I got off work about 11 o'clock at night, come home, went straight, not to the shower, not to my room. It's in a dorm. I went straight to a broom closet. I got my knees and stayed there till about 5.30 or 6 the next morning. Now, I was just praying, because we'd already been talking about marriage. And I just kept praying, Lord, do you want me to marry her? I, Lord, I want to marry her, but do you want me to? And so, it was about 6, 6.30 when I got the peace and felt like, yes. That way I knew when I asked her, she didn't have a chance to say no. <laughs> and so, that's, that's when it started. That, that's really how it, it, uh, that part came about. And then... So, uh, we got engaged later, and then uh, I guess I, no, not guess, I did. I thought, well, I need to go back home. So, I dropped out of college and went back here to Ocala to get a job to work and save up money to get married. And I realized then, you never save up enough money to get married. But I knew that that was the woman God had for me, having dropped out of college and, and, and then getting married. And we got married right here in this auditorium, right in this auditorium. Now, we didn't have the balconies. We didn't have the sides on each side. It was just straight down the middle here. And this, my dad married Janice and I right here in this auditorium in 1969. So I'm just kind of giving you a background for this. And then about... Uh, uh, after that, we had moved up North Carolina to her folks' house for about a, oh, not quite a full year. Moved back here after that. Uh, her folks had a log cabin. We lived in a log cabin. Let me tell you, a log cabin that was built somewhere between 1899 and 1900. I mean, it had uh, the logs with the mud in between and all that. I mean, that's the way it was built. You could lay down at night. If it was a good moon at night, you could see out the wall. But that was it, and, and, and there we were, and it, it, it was actually a pretty good experience, and uh, we dipped our water out of, a, out of a spring that we had in the back. That was our water. We didn't have the running water. We had to go out there and get our water out. Uh, we had this great big tub that hung on the side of the outside there that you could take down and fill that up. Well, it would take forever out of the spring, and it, spring water is cold. I love drinking it, but I walked about a block or two down the road to go to her mother's house and take my baths, okay? I wasn't about to get into that, but that's, that's the way it was. That's the way it was, and, uh, but it was good. We moved back here. Uh, first one, Paul, was born in 1972, and our second one, Michelle, she was born in 1974, but the thing about it, I had decided, because in between there, I'd... I'd preached in children's church. I'd preached the first sermon I ever preached in a church service as this on a Sunday night at the church where my wife grew up in. And the pastor came up to me that Sunday morning, and I'd gotten there. Our car broke down driving up there. 
And so we took a bus the rest of the way to get there. All I had was the clothes on my back. All the other stuff was down in Georgia somewhere where we'd have to drive back the next day and get it all together. But uh, so you might say I was the first contemporary pastor because I didn't have a coat. I didn't have a tie. I just had a shirt, a long sleeve shirt and a pair of pants on. And they were two days old in wearing, okay. Fortunately, it was cold enough that it didn't smell that much. Uh, but pastor came up to me and says, uh, you feel called to preach, don't you? I said, yes, sir. He said, okay, you're preaching tonight. Now, I've been up all night long. I mean, ever since we'd left the morning before the road that got there, Sunday morning, we got there about 7 o'clock, went to church. After we got there, and so I said, okay, I was looking forward to that nap Sunday afternoon. Missed it. And believe it or not, I preached from the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 13. And that's just something I've been studying God gave me. And so I preached from there. And we had a lot of folks come forward that night. And to me, again, that was just something saying, I've called you. Had the first radio program I ever had was up on the mountain there. Uh, that they uh, got to a radio station and, and I had it out there while we lived there. Well, moved back here, got involved in our children's church, our bus ministry, the choir, uh, and, and then uh, I preached in several churches, lay preacher, you might say, in several churches around uh, Marion County area. And God was working on me the whole time. So in 1974, I made the decision I was going to read the Word of God through. And that was the best decision I think I had made in my Christian life because then I knew through the God's Word and reading God's Word what He would have me to do. And uh, my daughter was born that year in March, but I'd already started reading on the Word and trying to get it through in one year. And that's the first time, never missed a time since then, going through the Bible in one year. And let me encourage you, stay in that Bible, meditate, think on it, and as you read it, think of how would I teach that to someone. You fathers especially, it's good for you to teach your children. Uh, teenagers, it's good for you to know God's will for your life because he can reveal it to you now. It's not your parents that reveals it to you, it's God. So let me say that to those who are teenagers as well. And so uh, that's where we got started. So in reading the Bible... I read in Luke chapter 19, verse, uh, chapter 9, verse uh, 58. Now, let me just preface that. We, my brother Jim and I worked in the, uh, with the teens. We realized the church was growing and they needed a full-time youth director. So we talked to Dad and finally he said, okay, we'll get a full-time youth director. Uh, we got one in and he was leading the teens. And so I would go in there and I'd help him from time to time with things. But I remember going to his office one day, and it's where Brother Butcher's office is now is where his office was. Went in there one day, and he uh, uh, had some booklets up there and said, Pensacola Christian, a new calling, a new calling was going to start in the fall of 1974. I said, what is this? And I looked through it, and it seemed like every teacher, every faculty member was a Bob Jones graduate, and everyone involved was a Bob Jones graduate. And I, thought, oh. and I looked at him because he was a Bob Jones grad. I says, is this Bob Jones South? <laughs> he said, uh, well, all of them are Bob Jones people, but he says, I don't think so. You know, he says, this is a separate college. And 
Becca books come out of that. And so that's uh, where I first learned about it. And I, he said, take a homework through. And I took a homework through. And it just seemed like the Lord started hitting my heart with it. So I prayed about it. And I kept praying about it. I knew I was called to preach. I prayed about it. And God started impressing on my heart more. Now here's the amazing thing. I'm going to tell you a story. Now this story doesn't go out from here. Okay. And now, and now Luke 9, 58 will be the passage I'll read to you in a moment. But the story is this. When I went to high school, I graduated with 226 students in my senior class. They had a terrible habit back in that day, though, a terrible thing they did. They gave you a list of where you were academically in that class. And out of 226, I was 197th. Now, I'm not bragging about that. That's terrible. But if you don't do homework and you just do enough to pass, that's what I did. I said, I'll never go to college. I'm just going to, I like to work with my hand. I like labor, so I'll just labor. I'll just. But God had different ideas. And so when I knew God had me go to college, that was it. He, and I knew I was called to preach. Here I am, a pastor, I mean a, a, a married man with two children. And in Luke 19, uh, 9, verse 58, uh, as a matter of fact, the verses that follow through 62 are also indicative of the same thing. But verse 58 is the one that just stayed with me and, and spoke to me. But the uh, rest of the verses I said, they pretty well tied in and with the same thing. And let me know that you don't quit. Nothing takes you away. That verse states nothing that makes you want to fulfill the will of God. Verse 58 of Luke 9 doesn't make you want to fulfill the word of God, but it reveals ahead of time the will of God will not be easy, and it reveals ahead of time what the cost will be. And so, that's when I said, yes, Lord. But it said there in verse 58, And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. Now, you're married, you've got two children, uh, you know, and, and they're, they're young. They're just little. And you're talking about heading to college. We sold the house we had. We sold the house uh, before we uh, were able to leave. As a matter of fact, this, I was the third student ever accepted Pensacola Christian College, but I didn't start till second semester because it was in the middle of a recession. The middle of a recession, so we couldn't leave until we sold our house. When I got up, I found out that... Uh, I went to all these places. I couldn't get hired. They weren't hiring. It's the 1974 recession that we went through. And the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. As a matter of fact, I even had troubles leaving here. I'll tell you this now. If you'll correct me when I get to heaven, if you didn't like me saying this, but uh, my dad, he got down on me. You're married, you got two children. Academically, you're dumb. Yeah, I mean, that's, he didn't say it that way, but he says, you're a fool. I mean, he said that to me. 
I went up to him the last night before I left, and I said, well, Dad, we're leaving you in the morning, and, you know, we'll get back sometime to see, you know. He says, well, don't call me if you get in trouble. I'm not going to help you out at all, boy. He said, uh, I told you not to go, and you don't need to go. Now, the thing that keeps you going in that is if you know it's God's will. He said, go on. And that was, I mean, those were the last words I had with him before I left. I loaded the truck, the moving truck, by myself. My wife was, had the little one, you know, uh, Michelle was the little one at that time. And, and so it was, she had to drive the car and I drove the truck all the way to Pensacola. I'd loaded the truck myself, had a house there that I rented from the college. And the, from the sale to our home, I was able to put some of that money on the rent and get the first semester of tuition that would start in January. But after that, there wasn't much left. And so that's how we got started. One of the things I did before we moved, about every week we'd go to the grocery store, I'd buy extra things of baby powders. I mean, one or two each week. And then toothpaste, but I didn't get regular toothpaste. I got, some of us older ones remember this, tooth powder. Remember putting that on your brush and then you brushed your teeth with it? I got tooth powder because it was cheaper and it would last a whole lot longer. I bought the cheapest deodorants that I could find. I bought the cheapest hairspray. I know my wife would need hairsprays, so I bought the cheapest hairsprays. Now, she made sure she got her deodorant. The day came after college had already started. The day came when we ran out of deodorant. But we were not out of that baby powder or hairspray. Now, this is no lie. I'd get my bath, I'd get out, put that powder in my hand, and then I'd spray the hairspray so it would stay there. Then try not to sit close to anybody. Uh, but uh, that's, that's the way it was. But we knew the foxes have holes, birds have nests. Well, after a while, I still couldn't get a job. I was getting concerned about house payment, I was about rent payment. I was getting concerned about paying bills. I even had a guy that I had enough money to get most of my books, but not all the books. But there was a guy there in school. I mean, he was just a student. He wasn't a married man or anything. He was just a student there. And he said, my Lord laid it on me to give you this, this textbook for that class. And he had found out that I didn't have one, couldn't afford it at the time. And uh, Now, I didn't like the way he did it. He called me and he says, can you come over here to the restroom? I said, okay. I went in there. He got down on his knees on the restroom floor. Started praying, then he gave me the book. Now that's, that's how God does it. After a while, we not having income, all of a sudden we're running low. See, I, we'd bought a lot of grits, a lot of powdered milk, a lot of things like that to try to make do. I'd go to the downtown, you could give blood plasma twice a week. The first time they gave you $5, the second time they'd give you $10. 
And so I had an income of $15 every week in which I would use part for gas and part for buying some food like that and always go in the grocery store and buy all the bent cans I could find because they were really marked down. Sometimes I even got to a point where we'd buy that cheap hamburger, not the good hamburger, the cheap hamburger. We'd buy the cheapest hamburger we could find and then buy some hamburger helper. <laughs> and that would be about it. But then one day I came home from school and I said, last can of vegetables, no more grits. We don't have anything for tonight. Went in the bedroom, got on my knees and said, Lord, I promised you I wouldn't quit. I'm going to stay here, but you've got to provide for my family. Please provide it. Help me provide my family some food. Meet the need. Well, I got up from my knees. That prayer probably took about 20 seconds, if that. I mean, I didn't spend a long time down there. It's just the way I prayed and just got up and said, well, I told him. I'm going to get up and go. Went to the mailbox that was down in front of our house, opened it up. Remember about Mike Privet I told you about? Old Mike had sent me $36. I thought I hit a gold mine. $36. Wow, that was great. I mean, here I am in my first year of college. I've got two children, and just feeding them was all I could do, and I couldn't get a job anywhere. I mean, I was putting in uh, applications everything everywhere I go, but they just weren't hiring around that county. Then uh, we had a man here in our church. He was a deacon. His name was Dr. Sandberg, a lot of the older ones would probably remember Dr. Sandberg. And within a week after I got that $36, he sent me a check for $100. And I was a multimillionaire. Uh, so God just worked. He worked in a special way to get that off. But I think in all of that, when Jesus said, the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. If you're going to follow me and do my will, it's not going to be easy and you can't quit. If you're going to be a quitter, don't do it. And that's what you have to do. But he gives you the grace for it. He gives you the strength for it. He gives you the help. And, and now you know why he chose the wife I got, because she didn't leave me during that time, you know, when it's that hard. And... There you know, the, uh, I'm glad that the gas prices aren't what they are today back then. But, uh, but looking down the road, it helped me to realize you become a pastor one day, it's not going to be all just a, a path of roses and food. It's going to be hard. There'd be oppositions. Uh, look, I can remember walking down the side of the road, the highway, out near where we lived, looking for empty soda bottles. Go to the convenience store when I got a few of them, turn them in. You know, you usually got a nickel bottle back then to turn them in. And I'd use that nickel to buy some candy for my little ones, just something special. And that was it. I mean, what you got, a nickel does not buy groceries. And so 
those were things that, that happened in that day, and yet God took us through. As I told you, I graduated 197th from my high school, but at Pensacola Christian College, I graduated at cum laude status. God did it. God did it. And I can tell you that, and I can attest to that uh, for sure from right here. And so, God provided people. He provided things that I had no idea would happen, and he did that. And so, God worked in our lives. He did these things for us. And so, it was coming along. I was going through college, doing fairly well, wasn't wasn't finished yet. In that time, Dad seen I was serious. I was doing it, working. He became my number one supporter. I mean, uh, he he started telling others about me. I didn't know the people that he was telling about it, but uh, I, maybe that's how Dr. Sandberg sent me the hundred dollars. I don't know, but he realized I was going to work. And and so he wanted to make sure that uh, I was going to be a quitter. Now. While I was there in college, the church came open. Boy, I wanted to pastor. I really did. I wanted to pastor. And, and so they called me, and uh, I got up there, went to it. And if you know what I mean by this, it was a Peter Ruckman student that had founded that church. Now, I'm not going to go into Peter Ruckman or anything right now, but uh, let me just say it was strange. And they had a big roaring church of 19 members. But they had their own church building. And so I, I preached for them. Never heard from them for a few weeks. and So I called the guy that talked to me. I just said, hey, look, uh, are y'all wanting me or not? Usually if they haven't called you back, they don't want you. Well, we haven't found anybody yet. We're still looking. But come on back. He says, but I don't like the way you preach. I said, what do you mean? You don't hit sin hard enough. I preached on hell when I was there. And he said, you just don't preach hard enough. You don't hit sin hard enough. Well, they come back to preach. And I came back at Sunday and preached both services. I talked to their men. Uh, they didn't have deacons. So I just talked to the men that were there are three men there heading it up, and I talked to them, answered all their questions. And I even told them that if, we, if I become your pastor, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And I said, that's what I'm going to do. And they said, okay, we agree with that if, if we call you. That Sunday morning, I preached, and I would leave because they were going to vote on me after the church services, and I would leave, and they'd tell me Sunday night. As I was walking out the door, one of these men come running out and stopped me. Stop, stop. I'm, yes, sir. Well, yeah, how can I help you? He said, uh, if we call you to preach, will you join our church? And he said, oh, boy, this is going to be great. You know, but uh, I said, sure, yeah, that, that's without a question. Yeah, definitely. He said, okay, that's all I needed. Walked back in. I was told later that the man that was kind of the head of the search committee told the people, I don't think he preaches hard enough. I don't think he this and that. 
But if we don't call him, he's probably going to start a church here, and then we're going to be out of business. So let's call him. So they voted on me. Now, that's the truth. That's what they did. So I got called to save them from losing their church. And God blessed that church. And we went from 19 members in a five-and-a-half-year period to where we had, uh, in the membership itself, over 120. I think it was 127 or something like that. And we got up to an average of about 80, uh, about 70 to 80 in attendance by the time that was over. And so we praise the Lord for that because the Lord did it uh, through it all and happened while I was a student in college. God did that for me as a student and they even started me out and, I, and paid me the weekly salary of $125 a week. And so that was it. So that 1 Corinthians 16, 9, though, was a verse that God gave me. And that's why I wanted to read it to you. For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. And it's as if the Lord just gave me that verse for the rest of the ministry that he had had me in. There'd be troubles, there'd be trials, there'd be many adversaries in ministry that would probably want to make you quit. When you see your family under attack, it makes you want to quit. When you hear good friends and close friends making false accusations, you hear the lies go around. Fortunately, I grew up in a pastor's home, and I knew that happened to Dad all the time. And so a lot of times, as his children, we got it too. So I was used to that. I, I knew that that comes with it. And so I was able to preach there, and God blessed it there. And then the time came to go to Arizona. And that's, that's interesting in itself, because just going to Arizona, the Lord just showed me some things about Arizona, Tucson, Arizona. How did I see that? I have no idea. So I saw it, and I started reading about it, and, man, the needs were great there. The needs were great in Tucson, Arizona. They just they had a, two real good fundamental independent Baptist churches, but in a city of 600,000, there were two independent Baptist churches. Hispanic, everything else. When I moved there, it was like moving to another culture. It really was. But during the time there, I, I was praying about it, and the Lord kept laying on my heart, and I kept going back to it and told Janice what the Lord's doing and all that. And... Um, it was crazy. We'd be watching our little black and white TV with the rabbit ears that you could pick up maybe one or two channels with. would be watching something there with the kids now. They were growing up now. and uh, We said, well, let's watch this, you know, with the kids tonight. And, and a couple times, in the story itself, and some of those were old programs, it mentioned Tucson, Arizona. I was getting the newspaper every day back then, and one of the articles I make sure I read every day was a comic page. And there was a comic there, I don't know which one it was, but I just remember two little ones calling themselves uh, uh, Two Sons from Tucson. I thought, wow. We, Jesse was born during that time. And so I had, a, I had the guy, there was a railroad track that went right behind our church. Every Sunday morning, just in the middle of the sermon, some guy 
One of the drivers, not all of them, but one of them would come by and lay on the horn for a long time. Uh, I figured, Lord, break that heathen's harm, you know. But uh, uh, that this is, is the way it was. But I'd also have, being there, I'd have these guys that would, that would hop trains and travel. They, they knew their train routes. They knew where they went. So one guy came in there, and they were asking for food. He said, I just want food. I don't, I know you won't give me money, but I do want some food. And so uh, there was some food I kept there, and so I, I would give them some food, talk to them about their soul. But I, I'd say, where did you come from? And sure enough, one guy said, oh, I come from Tucson. Then I'm going back. So God was using something that was happening to speak to my heart. It's just like, boom, boom, boom. So when we moved, didn't know anybody there. Moved there, rented a little school building, uh, the public school. We were able to use our auditorium on Sundays. Used a home for Bible study on Wednesday night. That's where we got started. We, had, we were there one year to the day. I mean, one year to the day was the whole time we was there. Had... Um, uh, 35, I think is what I counted, got saved during that time that we were there. And that was a blessing of itself. But all of them are new Christians. Just imagine you're in a church of new Christians. We had one or two that were there that had been saved, but most of them were not. They got saved there. Now you think about what that's like to try to do that with them. And then my dad flew out there in May and said, uh, Son, we, I met with the deacons, and we want to call you to be my assistant pastor. You'll be my assistant for two years, and you're going to be the pastor. Now, we were by ourselves. You know, he was, he was a golfer, so I made sure that when he's out there, went to a golf course somewhere, and there's a man in my church that golfed, so I said, well, this will get us through it. But he talked to me privately. He just said, we've called you. You need to come. He says, this, nothing's going to happen here. You know, Dad, when he wants you to go somewhere, he says, he'll tell you that. You know, nothing's going to happen here. So, well, I didn't say a word. When I got home that afternoon, I said uh, to Janice, I said, uh, Dad said they've called me to come here as the assistant pastor to deacons. I said, we won't tell them no now. I don't want to hurt him and Mom as they're out here, you know. I just we want them to have a good time while they're here. So we won't tell them no right now. And he had told me to pray about it. And so back in that day, you could walk to the tarmac when they got on the plane to fly back. So I was walking out with him to the tarmac, and he started going up those steps, and he stopped, turned around. Andy, I told you to pray about it. Now, you make sure you pray about that. Don't answer me now. You pray about it. I said, okay, Dad, I'll do that. So I told her, I said, they said, pray about it. I, pray about it. I started praying about it, and I couldn't get any peace. My prayer was this, Lord, Help me to set to him in such a way that it won't hurt him so badly. And that's what, that was in May. It wasn't until the 1st of August I called back and said, Dad, I'm going to go. But up till that point, I didn't want to go. I, I couldn't, it didn't make sense to me that you've got all these people that are new Christians, and, and what are we going to put them in? I, I tried to get them with another church and put another church. The money that we'd, we'd saved up, I think, over $1,000 and taken uh, offerings among that small group that we had, but nonetheless, we saved up over $1,000, and we were able to, when I left, they decided 
okay. I said, whatever church, I suggested a church, and they went there, and that $1,000 went to that church. But it was interesting to me that in all of that, I thought I just couldn't justify it in my mind. As a matter of fact, when I first got here for about two years, I wrote those members from here. I'd write them and see how they're doing and things like that. Now, to show you how the Lord works, every one of those people had moved from there within a year after. They had all moved away. God saw ahead of me. Now, it took walking in the desert for hours. I mean, I, would go, I got so burdened by it. I'd go out in the hour, uh, desert, walk through the desert for hours. I mean, mostly until then, my day consisted of going out door to door every day and then studying for the messages I'd be preaching. But at that point, I was going out there every day in the desert. I found an old, abandoned, it looked like a, kind of like a church building. I mean, there were just, there were some benches in it. Everything was open, windows, door, there's no door to it. It was just open. I guess somebody put it there just in case somebody came by to do something. There was no pictures or anything. It was just sitting there. I'd go in there and have prayer and all that, and then I'd walk through the desert, pray. I had my Bible with me every day to do that. I got to where I fasted for days at a time. I got to where I prayed all night. Could never get the peace. There was a church in town that I was preached to them often because the pastor would have me over to speak to different things and all that, and he and I were good friends. We became friends. And so that day, thus realized God wanted me to do it. And I told that pastor, by the way, I says, you know, if you ever leave this place, I'd love to have this church. It's a beautiful building and everything. And I was telling about how great it was, the location. Everything was anything a pastor would desire. And so, when I realized God wanted me to go back, I called him up and told him. And it's the interesting thing, it was like I had 300 pounds of weight on my shoulders and I didn't know it. I, when I said, Dad, even while I was talking, Dad, the Lord wants me to come back, I'll come back. It's just like somebody lifted it off. I mean, you just had that kind of a feeling. It's not a feeling I was looking for, but you just realized the burden was taken. And we set up when I'd move and so forth like that and getting that taken care of. Please, please realize the Lord has done all of that, not me, not me. The next day after I hung up, talking to my dad, the very next day that pastor, that friend of mine, that beautiful church called me up and said, Brother Andy, the Lord has called me to Idaho and I'm going to go up there and pastor a church and our people want you to come and be their pastor. I said, why didn't you call me 24 hours ago? I would have taken it, you know. And, uh, uh, but that's what happened. That's what happened. And God get, got me here. Now look, been here and some people know some of the trials and things that we go through. I was even called by three different colleges to come and teach for them. A church wanted me to come be their pastor. In the very midst of those trials that we went through, But I knew God's will was stay here. And God took care of it. I didn't take care of anything. God took care of it. 
Now, I've said all of that to get you back to this point. All of this is building up to this one point. You say, well, why didn't you just say the point and we would have had it and could have gone home? But get in the Scriptures. Got a new year coming up here in 2023. We know that Joseph got his call from God by walking with God. He was sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God, even though it wasn't like that were angels and so forth. But then with him, it was in dreams. God called Joseph. And those things he did, people say, man, that is stupid, Joseph. He did it. God did it. Because Joseph obeyed the Lord. There are always adversaries in ministry. You're going to be a youth director, you're going to be a bus director, you're going to be a bus driver, you're going to be a Sunday school teacher. Somehow you're going to get opposition. No matter what God calls you to do, in a church there is going to be gossip and things because the devil works that way. That's how the devil wants to make you quit. The devil wants you to stop. The devil wants us to not do it anymore. And, but pastor, you don't understand, they told a lie. They made false accusations. You don't think I understand that? I grew up with it. If that wasn't enough training, I had four other brothers. You live through that, you've done something. And until Tim came along, who was 10 years younger than me, I'm the guy that the other three always beat up. So that, that's, that's the way it is. But look, the very call of God it's not a voice coming out. Andy Bloom, I've called you to go to Pensacola. Andy Bloom, I've called you to Arizona. I didn't get any of that. I didn't lay down and sleep and get this dream. I didn't have any angels appear in the room. Probably I'd have had a heart attack if I had. No. They, God impressed it on the heart through reading his word. These things came to my heart. Events happened. And then as you think and pray and compare it with the word of God, God spoke to my heart through it. That's how that happened. That's how that happens. But there's a couple things you need to understand. Your heart has to be already set on eternity. Secondly, your heart has to be set on this. Whatever God wants me to do, I'll do it, and there is no quitting. Now, if he calls me somewhere else, that's when it would go somewhere else, but I'm not looking for a call to go somewhere else, I'm looking to finish the job. I'm looking to do what he wants me to do now. That's the heart. Read your word through. Read God's word through. Teenagers, you're not too young to start reading it and ask God to show you, help you understand it and read it. And you won't understand everything you read, but get in the word and read it, read it, read it, and think on it, think on it. Just don't read it as an exercise. Okay, I read the Bible today, and I'll say this prayer, and I'll go. No. Get in the word of God, think on it. You'll be surprised how many, many times the Holy Spirit convicts you when you're about to do the wrong thing. Get in the Word. Pray. Ask God to impress on your heart what He wants you to do. And all of us, even us grandparents, need to do that daily. Lead me today. Lead me today. Now, folks, Commit this year to read the Bible through, but to read it, to see the person of God. Ask God to show you more of his person 
even the Apostle Paul, after going through all the sufferings and the things that happened to him, the jailing, the beatings, and everything, he says in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him. Paul, you went through all that. Don't, oh, yeah, I know him as my Savior. I know him as my Lord. I talk to him. I've had his leading. But I know there's so much more of his person to know. And Paul said that I may know him. Get in the Word. Obey the Word. If you don't live in obedience to God, even if you have a call on your life, it's not going to be blessed of God. Because you're going to contaminate that call until it's right with God. So know God's call on your life and be committed to the rest of your life until God tells you to do something else. You be committed to it. Don't look to do something else. You keep on doing regardless that the birds of the air have nests and the foxes have holes, but our Lord had nowhere to lay his head, and you're walking with him. Commit, commit, commit to the relationship that you have through salvation with Jesus Christ. You know what I found out when I married Janice? She found out the same thing. We really didn't know each other. Because there were no more facades. We were living with each other now. No more facades. I couldn't go home at night and say, that was stupid. She couldn't go home and say, what in the world was I doing out with him? See, now we're together. Let God lead you. Do God's will, God's way, God's timing. Always do it that way. Be in the Word. Be in prayer. Learn to pray according to His will. How do you pray according to His will? Find out God's will in His Word. You ask His Holy Spirit to speak to you. After a while, the voice, you'll hear the voice, as He said in John 10, 27, where He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They follow me. When you're walking with God, you're in His Word, you get to know His Word, so you know what's acceptable and not acceptable to Him. And as He speaks to your heart, you begin to see it. You begin to see it. And it becomes very clear. I guess the intent of this message is to challenge every believer to draw closer to the Lord, being in His Word, in prayer, in meditation, and with a commitment. Whatever he says, I will do. Wherever he leads, I will go. Come what may, I am the Lord's servant. Commit yourself to that tonight. Let's bow our heads.